Welcome to the Scan On Podcast, your weekly look at the world of film news, Irish International. I'm your host, Darren Mooney. Joining me are... Grace. And Jay. So we're going to talk about the week in film news. We're going to talk about the top ten and the new releases. But we're going to start with what we normally do. So, Grace, what have you watched since last we talked? What have I watched? Well, first things worst. I went to the uh, Korean Film Festival. So I saw three films at that, all of which were very good, some of which were better than others. Um, the first one I saw was The Thieves, which was a very enjoyable heist movie about um, basically a bunch of kind of Korean small-time gangster pickpocket-type people uh, teaming up with a bunch of Chinese pickpocket-type people to uh, rip off a casino. Um, but as you can imagine in um, heist movie type in, in typical heist movie format yeah somebody has history with somebody else and things get very complicated and sort yep, of blow up proportion but um this was very very entertaining i'm actually kind of surprised i hadn't heard about it before because apparently it was very successful at the um box office in korea and it's still i think maybe seventh or eighth most popular film um there in terms of ticket sales um which you can see why because it's just it's very it's 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 quite long, but it sort of zips along and the characters are really engaging and the writing is really enjoyable and it has that very kind of specific Korean brand of sort of black humor, but in a much lighter way than I see yeah. it used in a lot of other films. And um, I've seen a couple of reviews online that liken this to Ocean's Eleven, which I have not seen in its entirety, so I can't really speak to that. Pretty great. Um, uh, it's pretty very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this, this, I can see the comparison, the sense that this is a very sort of stylish, yeah. stylishly shot film. And the approach is very, you know, it has that sort of like flashy, slightly surreal kind of aspect going for it. So, um, yeah, this was just really fun. It was just like nice, light entertainment and sort of, it, it had characters that you could get invested in, which I appreciated. And then the only thing I didn't like about it was that it was programmed before the film I saw afterwards, which was called Missing, which was an emotional roller coaster if ever there was one. Um, so this is about a woman whose nanny kidnaps her baby, basically. Um, okay. And it starts off in, you know, it sort of paints a certain picture when it begins. And then as the film progresses, you learn a lot more about the um the nanny's backstory. So she's supposed to be an immigrant from China. And um as it turns out, and I suppose this is kind of spoilery if you haven't seen it. So if you want to watch it, then don't listen to this. Um, But basically, it turns out that she herself had a baby who died. And the reason the baby died is because it, it had a condition. And it basically, she couldn't access the same level of health care as she would have if she was a Korean citizen. And also because her Korean husband would not sign off on certain... um needs that the child had okay. so she was bumped down the list so it was it was very intense like this was really emotionally grueling but i thought it was a really really compelling portrait of what it's like to live that kind of experience in this specific society because it deals very sympathetically with both its lead characters even though the nanny is kind of you know ostensibly the villain of the piece you see a lot of things from her perspective and she's a very empathetic character I think and in that sense it probably helps that um, as I subsequently learned it was this film was actually written and directed by a woman so it says a lot about um, both the kind of conservative gender roles and, and sort of societal expectations that are placed on women in Korea. And then, you know, through the, I suppose, the medium of the lead character because she's going through a divorce and she's um, having a lot of problems in terms of securing custody of her child, even though her husband really doesn't care about the child and, 
you know, it's all very messy and people judge her because she works and has a baby and it's, you know, it's... it's Where have you heard that before? I know. It's, it's that kind of sort of conservative perspective. But then that's also juxtaposed against the nanny's experience of coming from China and being sort of taken advantage of in the way that she was essentially married off to someone who lives in Korea and then has basically no rights, even though she's being abused and mistreated. And then that extends to her daughter. And it's, it's... It's very intense. Like, I think if you have kids, I would not recommend that you watch this because I feel like it would just leave you in so bits. I was in bits watching it and I don't have kids. But um, as a portrait, I suppose, of that kind of experience, I felt it was very sensitive and very well told um, and really, really gripping, even though it was only about an hour and a half long or so. Like, I really felt every minute like it felt like you'd been through the rigors with these characters and they find a certain symmetry towards the end, although it doesn't end as neatly as as. I suspect it would end in a Western context, um, but it was really very, like, quite haunting in its own way and said a lot, I think, about the experiences of women in these positions in Korea. So I would definitely recommend that if you haven't seen it. Okay. Um, and then the third film I saw at the festival was called Secret Reunion. So this has um, one of Korea's perhaps more well-known actors internationally, Song Kang-ho who people may know from, I suppose, Snowpiercer and The Host mm. and Shush You. Um, and I would uh, also like to express my preference for that particular film. <laughs> and um, one of Park Chan Wook's first films, oh. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, he's also in. Which um, I did like. Yeah, but he's in this as a um, a former Korean. It's the impression I got is that it's some kind of like federal agent, but basically he was involved in a ring that was um, tracking North Korean spies, and essentially an operation goes wrong and he gets kicked out of that and it picks up several years later with him and the spy that he was tailing who are sort of thrown back together and both of them recognize each other but they don't let on that they recognize each other and they start working together in a certain way and just sort of you know monitoring one and the other and, and so on it was it's interesting I, th- I feel like a lot of the themes here in terms of the um you know finding common ground and finding the humanity in yeah. one another completely separate from the political situation and all of the the ways you've been brought up, I suppose, to look at people and look at countries and situations a certain way. Um, I feel like that's probably been done a bit better elsewhere because the relationship between these two, although both actors are very, very good, I don't think the writing was particularly great. It definitely felt a bit too long at times. But in saying that, I did get very invested in both of their stories because by the end of it, something happens to the the character that's supposed to be a North Korean spy. And um, I was just sitting there having one of my classic, like, don't you dare die or I will kill you (laughs) sort of moments. Um, So it was good in that sense. I feel like it was probably just a bit too long for the story it was trying to tell and it could have been pared back a little. Um, But it was very entertaining and it it did sort of hold your attention while it was going on and had that sort of very distinctive humor running through it where they just sort of make fun of the ridiculous and in very heated situations so so that was also good um festival sounds good it was very good i saw i think there were five films altogether and i saw three of them and considering that it's free and And it's it's sold out very quickly it sells out very quickly presumably because it's free because it's funded by the embassy um But um, it's a really, I think, interesting way of just getting an insight into culture and uh, see you know, films you might not necessarily see. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That might be really hard to well get a hold well of too. Yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna get to it next year. I kind of mm-hmm. missed it uh, until you said it. I didn't even know it existed. I think Niall said something similar, and then I kind of checked. It's almost got that. Then I looked and it's all sold out, and it's like ah, rats. I know. It's it, it was, was it kind of unfortunate. Out, was it? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, you. You'll make a point of anything. I've taken a minute to sort of catch up with that. Mm, sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Um, uh, technically, you're the one who made it, but anyway. Well, that's true, but unintentional. 
but yeah so all three of them I, I would recommend to differing degrees um and then the only other film i watched this week was um my own private idaho which i had seen part of before but i didn't watch all of it because I, I i think when i was trying to watch it last the last time i was looking at it i was not in the right place for it um but this time i really this is I don't know, Sanche, been... uh, part of the keanu reeves yeah part the of lighthouse, the keanu ram at the lighthouse yeah. um but i don't know if enjoyed it is the right word it's not i don't think because it's very good though it's it it is very good like and it definitely i found it quite mesmerizing in parts but it's so interesting the way it's made because it's um it's funny i was coming out of the cinema and i overheard somebody else who had been in a talk about how you know it it wasn't attempting to present any kind of objective reality and i thought that was a an interesting way of looking at it because i suppose if anyone's seen it there are several scenes where the characters speak in this really kind of verbose almost shakespearean yeah. dialogue where which seems completely divorced from their actual situation. Like they're just like their characters in a stage play or something. And everything is very sort of theatrical and heightened and slightly surreal. Um, but I really liked that aspect of yeah, it I because it, it felt like a very, in a way it felt like it, it grounded it in a more subjective perspective. Like the, the lead character played by River Phoenix sees himself in a certain way and sees the world around him in a certain way. And I thought that was a very interesting way of presenting that perspective. Um, and there are also elements in this that are so heartbreaking because it's it's a film that kind of segues from being quite funny in parts and and kind of hopeful in parts to being incredibly dark and and like borderline disturbing because you have all of these characters who live on the streets and and you know sell themselves to to get by telling you about these very traumatic experiences almost in this sort of throwaway fashion and it really jars with the way everything is presented um but I think the word that came to mind when I was leaving this for me was that it's quite impressionistic. And I think that's probably the best way to put it, because it's almost like a series of sort of subjective interpretations of different events um, and then put together in this very abstract artistic style. But one that I think really fits for the characters and the stories yeah. that it's trying to tell. Certainly River Phoenix's character, you can see him looking at everything around him in this very intellectual way like one that sort of belies his station in life um and i think that really allowed the emotion to shine through in a very distinctive way um and i think it really it's it's hard to say because it's sort of it's not something i can say i enjoyed in the old-fashioned sense but one that is very thought-provoking and i think stays with you because of the way that it's made and i really liked that about I, it. I need to rewatch it it's been a good few years but i, I think you're on the money in, it, in the descriptive terms i think there's a almost heightened aspect to it mm. that takes it in a kind of and, and maybe surreal is not quite the right word for it but certainly it's very it's how, in, yeah and in it's very that way, character it? the way the characters almost want to be something else and somewhere else yeah. but it, yeah. and it, it like their it own grandiose way. Inter- yeah, yeah, vision yeah. of themselves yes kind exactly of their best selves or their affects how grandiose everything else selves, is presented yeah. and I really like that about it and it's very almost classical filmmaking in a lot of ways mm-hmm. depending on how or which scene you're watching and stuff like that mm-hmm. which I really liked and um, I think it's I done in such a, an authentic way too because you can easily imagine something like that being done and it coming across very pretentious yes. and it's like overstated but it feels very natural for the world it's presenting this feels like a very sincere portrait of it which I think is quite an achievement considering yeah like and it, I think it, it's really not like, something you would expect from a world like that I like that uh, the lighthouse included in the Canorama season because Reeves is perhaps an underrated actor in a lot of ways like and he, he's given some tough performances no doubt about that like most actors but I think he's very good in this mm-hmm. um, and the way that he's like he's very good in your John Wicks and The Matrix and everybody but this is very different for him in terms of a lot of ways well, and, he, was, and again, he raised to the challenge like in, 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 in the arc again this yeah. is a very as a young actor very I, I, like, experience Phoenix yeah. is great and Phoenix has always been great in that way yes. and every, nobody doubts that from him 
I think Reeves holds his own very much so. Yeah. yeah. He seems very at home in that kind of highbrow setting, I think, which is something that maybe people who are more familiar with his latter day of might not expect. Yeah. I mean, even, even at the time, because like, I mean, you're talking yeah. about things like Bill and Ted right around that time, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Which is brilliant. Bill and Ted's amazing. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Corrigan starring in the sequel. I heard. Oh. Uh, I'm, really I'm, I'm all over Bill and Ted 3. Yeah. 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 But it also underlines how much of a loss River Phoenix was because yeah. he was such an was instinctive, devastating earthy actor. actor. Like, yeah. Incredible yeah, they had her all presence. in that kind of way. And, and was able to convey so much intensity just in the way he looked at That's people or amazing. things. Like, it's it's really, really sad. Yeah, that is absolutely. All right, and Jay, what have you watched since last we talked? Yeah, I, was, I wasn't here last week, so uh, I've only about 40 or 50 movies to go through. No, I'm joking. Oh, um, we are trying to keep the length yes, of the podcast under control. <laughs> so this will only be a four of um, I started with a, a Day in the Country, which is a genre noir film on um, Criterion Channel. Uh, there's a couple of things to recommend this by. One, it's very good, but the other thing is 40 minutes long, which is, uh, you know... That gets it an extra half star, at uh, least. Like, <laughs> like seriously. Uh, this is a really interesting film. It's about a kind of... It's like a, 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 a Parisian shop owner and his family go out to the country, and they're this kind of city folk, you know. Oh, look, it's the country, and, you know, look, there's sunshine, <laughs> and... Or when while they enfant, eh? Yeah, yeah. I like the way you say that, like, you wouldn't be one of those city people in the country. Oh, my God, I don't know, Gene. Oh, no, no, Supermax. He'd, he'd just integrate, naturally. People would, you know, he'd be there, look like, at, four hours and would have a stroll. There's gap. a farmer holding a pint of milk. I'm going to give you a little tour of mayo sometime, and you're just going to be like, ugh. I'm kind of terrified. What does that smell? <laughs> That's um, actually something you probably would say. Yeah, but this is this is really interesting. The, the family arrive at this kind of a uh, little inn by the river, and uh, decide to have lunch here and have the lunch outside, kind of picnic kind of thing. Because you know they're French and you know picnics in the sunshine is fantastic. But it cuts to the scene of two guys sitting in the in the inside the inn, looking out at the the, the mother and the daughter are on swings, and they're like. You know, oh, I could get that one. You could have the mother, and they kind of thought it's like, I was like, the husband is there, like, and it's like, okay, this is this is turning a little different than I was expecting, and it has this really odd tone. It's a, it's like a feverish fairy tale for about forty minutes, and Renoir brilliantly sustains this, in the, and it's in in this real dizzying brightness, like in the sunshine. It's this kind of, and it's obviously the black and white, but it, it's really well, light, yeah. glaring yeah, uh, light yeah. that you know, and it almost makes. The women in it when they're talking to the guy is almost kind of like Waiting around the verge of fainting, you know, this kind of mm-hmm. uh, stylized kind of emotional uh, pitch, which I really like. The cinematography is glorious. And the brightness kind of darkens in literally and figurative ways. Like, you know, it's it gets darker. There's there's a storm on the horizon, literally. And then they go in this kind of, the, 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 one of the guys besides the daughter to go on a boat trip and she has to go and ask her father. And, you know, and he's already kind of, got in with the father but you know praising him and, and his vanity is like oh he's such a lovely guy you go it's great you know and it's this kind of creepy underlying thing to it and the uh, the tone is really odd it's this constant nervous laughter to it it's constant heightened weirdness to it which I really relate to and there's this kind of odd um, kind of reference to it like things like uh, if you've seen the Charles Lawton Robert Mitchell The Night Hunter yeah mm-hmm. it has that kind of dark fairy tale sense, of, sense of something bad's gonna happen here and I'm not saying necessarily that it does as such on the surface, but there's underlying strangeness to it. And all this is encapsulated in 40 minutes, which is kind of dazzling. I, I really loved it. It's one of those films that are like, 
how was that on? I read up a little bit subsequently that apparently he kind of was cut down because he didn't okay. finish it, so he had to do an edit out thing. But my God, this is it's pretty complete, like in the sense that it works really, really well. It's a, it's a, uh, a complete it, unit of yeah, film or story. Yeah, I really, really liked it. It's, it's on a, I said it's on Criterion's channel. If you have access to it, 40 minutes, it's, it's no time out of your day. Like it's an episode of TV. It's it really is. good. In fairness. Um, I then I watched Without Name, which Darren has a. One of my favorite uh, Irish horror films because of the past couple of years. Apparently, we've done more than one horror film that's good in Ireland. Easy, Jay. I thought we've only done one, according easy. to the reviews. Anyway, I uh, I love both The Hole in the Ground and Without Name. There's I a rich tradition of Irish horror Without film. Name is better than The Hole in the Ground. I okay, suggest. okay. This used to be on Netflix, I feel like. Did it? I, 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 I missed it if it was. Uh, I, didn't mean I might be getting it confused with something else. This, this is the one about the developer. Morgan Finnegan's yeah. film about a, a lancerer working in uh, this kind of woodland area who kind of... Oh, yeah, I've read the synopsis. I he's disturbed by mm-hmm. kind of things that happen amongst the trees, you know. You kind yeah. of, kind of I get love that shite. Me too, yeah. right? It's, it's a pagan it's, horror film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically the Irish Forests are inherently movie. terrifying. Well, and also yeah. the idea of yeah, the natural landscape of Ireland yeah, yeah. and the fact that we never tamed it and controlled yeah. it and the weird relationship that our own has with land which is very much what, what yeah, yeah, does that, like Foxes is... for example was his short film before this and afterwards he's doing Vivarium as well with Jesse Eisenberg yes. and uh, is it Mia Wazkowski who's the no it's so. Imogen Poots uh, it's Imogen yeah. Poots sorry apologies um, but yeah he's doing like um, so again it does feel like kind of a shame that we don't have more of this kind of particular horror because we, we certainly have the landscape for it and, there's and, something very sinister yeah, about a lot of, I, I especially and, out in the west and the psychology as well behind mm-hmm. it because I mean the, the, the landscape horror is the idea that the land will turn on you and like kill you which but, is you know a reflection of like the, the fear of things like the famine for example he, when the also, land did nearly but kill even us. when you get the um, to the point I agree with the, the famine kind of aspect of it but even when you get to the kind of idea, idea of ownership of yeah. land and yeah. same and how much we cling to it yeah. in terms of our, and why our, our identity and our self-worth well, yes, and all yeah. the rest of it and I think it gets at that really well here yeah. it's like, it, like it feels very 2019 well, yeah, it's, it's a 2016 film like yeah. it, it feels like really up to date in that regard and it's just and the idea of living breathing land yeah. uh, which are really it's both kind of literal and kind of uh, allegorical and allegorical yeah um, and it and I really loved it what I really liked it too and what I really liked about it um a rare shot of the two of you agreeing. I know. It, this, this Maybe not to this the moment. same extent, but agreement which, nevertheless. Which means that when Grace sees it, she will inevitably hate it. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> no, you won't. I think you like it. But it, it refrains. If it the landing, I'm happy. We said this before about horror It's very that, firmly grounded. That take 20 minutes to explain exactly what the, the background is. Yeah, and like it, the and third it, act, it, a bunch of exposition. It and admirably refrains from this which is part That's of the most part which, is, which makes good. a lot about it again it, it's a pagan horror film you don't need it no you don't I mean, you should and, yeah. instinctually know the kind of thing it's yeah. going for and, and I think you do and I think it's very clear the cinematography is superb yeah. uh, it's extremely creepy without being scary and I like creepy without being scary like you know, if you can if you can manage it well like it doesn't there's no jumps and I don't mind like yeah. I could take or leave jumps but it has a sense of dread and a sense of the land, the land knows more than you do and will always know more than you do, you idiot wandering around. The well, place. it's also inevitably going to outlast you. Oh, well, like, that's exactly it. Like, everything that's, that's around you. And it, that and, but it hits on all those points, which is very impressive, but it, A, over egging it and B, mm-hmm. explaining it, which I really like. Oh, that. I like the sound that's of that. That's impressive. I think you'd really like it, Grace. I do like a pervasive sense of dread. This is also because it, it's harder to capture, so I feel like when people do that, they've, they've already done something very good. Yeah. So, um, super. I'll mention uh, Craig's Wife, which is one of the 
uh, Colombian Noirs, which are disappearing on the June 30th, so from uh, yeah, Criterion. What, what is the deal with the Criterion Channel and movies cycling in and out? They, they cycle in and out. They have, a, they have a thing for a certain point, and then not all do, but... Okay, because I was going to say, like... I, Colombian I've, Noirs are going. I don't know when they're, okay. if, um, when they're coming back, but they're... I have about four to watch, so I've got to get my uh, rush, skates rush, on. Rush. I know, but right? they're all only like 20 minutes long, No, right? they're not. There's actually one that's two hours and <laughs> four minutes, which is disgusting, quite frankly. Uh, so I'm going to have to factor in time. But uh, I watched one called Craig's Wife, which is really, really interesting. Um, it's a dirty Arsenal film. Actually, I'm not even sure if it is one of the noirs, actually, now I think about it. I think it might be just on the thing. But Dorothy Arsenal is one of the kind of few female directors of the olden times, a.k.a. the 30s. And she was kind of precursor of Ida Lupino, who would have been the kind of 40s and 50s kind of <laughs> stock woman directing. <laughs> you only have one per decade. Standard otherwise, oh, otherwise it'll, get, it'll get crazy. Well, I mean, outside the 20s. Otherwise, but they, they might get yeah. notions yeah. above their station. But Asner uh, made this film uh, called that Craig's Air Wolf. quotes on Brown Fix it in case any listeners are concerned. And the, the, kind of the, the, the sub, subtitle of it is, uh, What Was the Sin of Craig's Wife? Question mark. And this this story about uh, a woman called Harriet, right? Played by Rosalind Russell. It was fantastic. Uh Who's this wife in this upper class marriage? Um, Sorry, delayed reaction. I love Rosalind Russell. She's fantastic. <laughs> it took a minute for that to sink <laughs> in. That's all right. And there's this thing where you know she's in this marriage and everything's going great. Sorry, rustling up some enthusiasm. There. And she hey. meets she meets somebody and then you know has a conversation with this woman about uh, you know relationships and what how you keep them well. And she's like. Well, you keep control of her and you keep her around the prize, like it's like, you know, which is to own everything. She's just, just the ultimate social climber and doesn't give a fuck about anyone. Which like is kind that. of made, like, but she does this in such subtle ways that it's like, hang on, what did she just say? You know, it's just kind of, because she's all kind of, yeah, 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 and then boom. And this is like 75 minutes where people catch up with her. There's this kind of the mother in law living with them who knows that she's no good. She knows that the mother and all knows she's no good, and she doesn't give a flying like the husband is this classic dupe who thinks she she loves him and like they're all crazy, you know what I mean? And it's this encircling kind of trap that she's trying to extricate herself from these people, I and then it. people start to kind of twig it, and it's glorious. It's this kind of um, ma- it's a massive repudiation of traditional roles and and in, in, in a household, which I really like. It's like. Yeah, wives don't necessarily have to do that. <laughs> it sounds vaguely all about ease. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Like in that. a good way. But this is economic. It's beautifully paced. It's a drama essentially, but it plays like a creepy seventies mm-hmm. thriller in in lots of ways. It's lots really you get that wonderful sort of acerbic undertones in some of those older films yeah, that people Hollywood don't always give them credit for. It, like, yeah. um, um, and it, it's an extremely, I know you mean extremely satisfying ending. Brilliant. Which I'm gonna say, but you, yeah, gotta watch it. This is a, one of those endings that you both win and lose it, which is a very difficult thing to do. Do you know where you kind of you can be satisfied by both sides of the, the thing? Which I I I, I love this. I absolutely love it. Um, and again, seventy four minutes. That's just what do you do making films, long films? Sorry, the loved ones, Australian B movie horror, which is fantastic. Everybody's been raving about this. This is great. Uh, What's it about? This is what? Grace, you're, you're, you're going to love this. I'm going to tell you all about it. In a non spoilery way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically, this is a story about a young girl that asks a guy to the prom. Okay. And, right. and Australia has a prom, which is really bizarre. But he says no. Right? I mean, here we are. He's the got Debs. We here we Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, but, you know, she doesn't get what she wants. So she decides, nah, that's not going to cut it. Is she so going to murder him? Things ensue. That's all I'll say. Um, Is it like Jennifer's body? 
it's it's like a Jennifer's body crossed with a drill. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. Sounds class. It's uh, Robin McLeavy is the name of the girl and the the lead. Sorry, the the actress, and she is fantastic. Her face, the uh, her reactions to scenes and how she kind of shows her disdain for the world are immense and priceless. It's this kind of story of like horror, mounting horror, slight bit of torture, and then this undercutting of black comedy through it. Not too much to kind of spoil the kind of tone, the tone but just tone, enough yeah. to kind of, what the flip is happening here? And again, this this I think is only about, uh, Jesus, 84 minutes. Uh, but it keeps it going all the way through. There's a touch of Texas Chainsaw Mask out about it. Yeah. Uh, which I really liked. Oh, and the poster looks interesting. It's really funny and much, much darker. Would have Texas Chainsaw Mass Appeal. Maybe. Mm-hmm. My wife was unsure about when she like ah, she read the blurb. So I don't know about this, but near the end, of it, she was kind of clinging desperately to the to the tension of it. So like, as, it's really as good. far as Australian horrors go, this is truly a loved one. Yes. It also has a Twilight alum. There you go. So I approve. All right. One, as one, always. One last one before okay, I, I one finish. Last one. Uh, one sings, the other doesn't. The last great bard, I guess, in the sense that I missed the one I missed in the when uh, the IFI had their uh, season was added to Criterion Channel, and I I missed it when it came out. I missed it in the cinema, so I was like, yes, let's watch this. And this is a fantastic story of friendship and mostly about reproductive rights, which is Bard's kind of attempt because she was on protest in the seventies about uh, abortion facilities in uh, in France at the time, and it's this kind of film that goes on I think because of 10-15 years of her friendship between two women who kind of drift in, out, in and out of each other's lives and it's really really interesting um, they have kind of children they don't have children some of them you know it's kind of dismissed but then it's all uh, it's kind of just weird like it's part musical mm-hmm. there's songs in it but then the other <laughs> part of it is like compassionate feminist epic and it is epic in the way Sounds that interesting. an intimate epic in the sense that it, it feels huge and about the world and about the people without, you know, you don't need a vista with a plane landing on it with a sun behind it to make it epic, I guess. Um, it's really funny, very moving, really spot on about friendship and how people can disappear from your life. But two minutes later, you can catch up with them after 10 years. You know? Oh, I love that. Yeah, you know, that kind of. So you roller, again, this, it, is, this right? is just one of those sort of emotional sort of buttons that I have where I'm just like, friends that you haven't seen in ages that you see again and yeah. it's like no time has passed. Yeah, exactly. It's that. amazing. It catches that superbly. And that kind of uh, friendship and equality in it and that the respect mm-hmm. around it. And it ends on this kind of weird little, it's hopeful note, I guess, but it's very fragile hope. It's like kind of, you know, it's it's delicate. Mm-hmm. It's really, really fantastic. I like I mean, it's a Varda film. What more do you want? Like, she's possibly the best filmmaker of the 20th century. Chef's kiss. Uh, she's incredible. And, and yes. My lord. I just... What's I, it called again, sorry? Uh, one Sings, The Other Doesn't. One Sings, The Other Doesn't. It's okay. very literal. I don't know what the French is for it, so it's probably kind of something more... Uh, I shall Google it. I, 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 I imagine that, like, a Google search will bring it up. Yeah. I'm not going to pronounce it, so i just call it what the English title will be. Um, I, I suppose we should mention one more film, Grace. We? Oui. We. Oui. I'm sure I don't know what you mean. Uh, at the last few weeks, myself and Grace have rewatched Batman Forever. Uh, oh, sorry, the, the French translate—it's a literal translation of the French. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So sorry. Batman uh, Forever, Grace. Batman Forever, a strange, obscure film that absolutely no one heard of. We um, we this, do, do you want to go first? Or we should set this out. We know it's pretty clear. We've had this conversation over many times, but Darren is not a Batman Forever fan. Uh, 
you know, which makes us sad. It is, but, it, but it, that's okay. To be fair, let, let's give let's give Batman Forever its credit. Oh, what? I don't. Right, <laughs> I'm waiting for the twenty four films starring Batman that I have seen produced between nineteen forty one and the present day. Batman Forever lands squarely. It, it isn't the worst. It's like 22nd of 24. It is 22nd <laughs> of 24. Uh, it's directly, yeah, it's above Justice League. It might be above Suicide Squad on a good day. Jeez, oh, boo. Nonsense. Um, awful. It's but anyway. It is so not awful. No, but that, that's fair enough. Darren set a stall out. That's fine. We can ignore him for now. But. <laughs> hey, I've not even set my stall out. This, your stall is done, Darren. You've closed that stall. <laughs> This is this is mine and Grace's turn I've now. I've set up a little rental agreement. Yeah, we know where we know where you stand. I don't know sure. I'm yet, sorry, so. you're being drowned out by a U2 riff yeah. drifting in dun, from dun, the background. Dun, dun. The soundtrack is great. The soundtrack is legitimately great. It's the best part. One of the, of the film. finest soundtracks of the. 90s. But I will say about it, and in fairness, I hadn't rewatched it in a long time, but I I did like it when it came out uh, mm-hmm. to say, and I and I was a Burton fan as well, so I'd seen the Burton films. Uh, so this was quite a change, and if you remember, like there wasn't like. Six months of tedious internet fucking talk about it back in um, 1995. I'm going to raise my hand and say that there was an internet talk, but this was, you knew a Batman film was coming. Yes, Batman but not, not, to extent, but not in the way that date, these though. things are now. Have you not, like, I mean. In 1995, Darren. Okay, I'm just saying. There wouldn't, in, like, be, the same, there wouldn't be the same level of saturation. Okay, in 1989, the, the bat symbol was everywhere. I know, it's this. TV and advertising and oh, hoarding. So I understand that mm-hmm. films have always been advertised. No, no, but I'm I, talking about the obsessive fucking. Uh, yeah, like you wouldn't get a trailer where it shows you the last four seconds of the trailer before it plays the rest of the trailer and a trailer for the trailer. And you might not and get people releasing articles about the trailer. And obviously, not. Presumably, fewer people making an edit where they cut all the women out of it because they're sad, sad fucking losers so yeah, yeah that might not have existed but my point is that these things were ubiquitous at the oh, time oh of course they were yeah. Yeah. Just, just not in the same way that they are today I don't think but, but they were, they were events Darren it yeah. wasn't like you know if you don't like this you know they were events and like because it was the first time they had superhero films hit land that big in a while the Batman ones um, like in terms of box office yeah. mm-hmm. um, so this is Joel Schumacher replacing Tim Burton yes Um after a variety of uh, arguments and creative disagreements yeah. over the adult content of Batman Returns sure. and the audience's mm-hmm. reaction to it. I can understand it. I can understand why, why they changed it up. But the interesting rewatch of it is that, and this goes back to something we were talking about, Darren, in terms of, um, and you may have not agreed with this, you, you probably won't. We were talking about uh, Punisher Warzone and Lexi Alexander. So. Yes, which is great. Right, and which we, we both love. Yeah. Uh, but I'm increasingly, as I get older, drawn to that superhero thing in the way Darkman is in the way well, cartoonish cartoonish yeah. and whatever about Batman Forever you cannot say it's not cartoonish no yeah. I can say it's not good That's no you can like, say that but, I, mean, you, but uh, I like this kind of this is my yeah. superhero type yeah, thing yeah, absolutely. Is, is my, and that's mean, my aesthetic I absolutely adore cartoonish Batman I'm a huge fan of Batman 66 is easily one of the top this is different no, this is somewhere made. between a kind of a 66 like, and mm-hmm. a even the Burton films I would argue are cartoonish but I mean even they like, are yeah, but they're cartoonish series. in a really beautifully stylized way yeah. like I, I really love the world that Burton created I love how intense and how gothic it feels I, and I how everything feels the, like the, to Burton Batman I I'm not a huge I'm not as big into Batman Returns as a lot of other people I love the first Batman I really love it so Batman Returns is the best Christmas movie ever it's, it's not, not. But Stop it, Darren. story Snap. about being alone and depressed It's a Wonderful Christmas Life is the best made. Christmas movie ever. Oh. Stop your nonsense. 
fucking Michael like Keaton, Miracle on 34th Michael Street. Keaton sitting in his room waiting for the bat light to come on in his heart. Tell me that doesn't speak to you. At Let's Christmas. get back it to Batman It doesn't speak Forever. to me personally at Christmas. But, this, um, Batman but yeah. Forever is a day glow nightmare of a film. It is wonderful. And in that way, and it's scenery chewing and about 1,000 Dutch angles because uh, Schumacher can't set a camera straight ever. In the whole throughout the whole film, okay. and, I, again, and I'm here for it. Like, yep. it, I mean, like again, Batman you know what Batman Forever is like. Oh yeah, no, we know. It's like if Riverdale made Batman. That's it exactly is it. Ludicrous, and it it's, is it's, so it's lur- much ludicrous. It's occasionally fun. lurid. It's occasionally weird. It's kind of strange. It's but kind it's, of it's funny, but not fun really. It's kind of action film, but not really. It's a bit of everything, not doing everything, yeah. but kind of all hangs together. Okay. In such a it's just way. it's such a fun, fantastical adventure. But I mean, the things that I love about it are are the really cartoonish elements, like the way Gotham is presented as this weird place where giant statues hold up motorways for some bizarre reason and where like all of Two-Face's goons dress exactly the same they have identical piercings they have identical like vests that they rip the sleeves off they have identical neon nunchucks in parts how can you not like this it is so I'm ready to answer that but anyway I'll let you answer in a second but what I will say as well and it, it probably goes a little too far in Batman uh, and Robin, but it this does. Is, this like is, said, is, that goes over the line. This is I actually like Batman this and Robin is much more than kinky. This. Get out. <laughs> this is kinky and weird in it. Yeah. Like there's underlying sexuality to some that's very strange and very oh, yeah. alluring and very lurid and winky and it's Val Batman Kilmer. We talked about Batman Val Kilmer. Sorry. This is different. But this is different though. This is a different. This is S and M compared to going on about more so. I think this is in a in a kind of you know. This is like Hollywood S and M, whereas Batman Returns but, but is like proper. Really, no, wait, no, has Michelle Pfeiffer. But I understand it's fun. That. I it's fun because there's yeah. like that whole part where like Nicole Kidman is so manifestly thirsty yeah. for Val Kilmer's Batman that she's actually like feeling his chest and going, "Ooh, black rubber." See, the thing is, right? <laughs> like, and this is that's an actual line of yeah, dialogue. Yeah. But that's exactly the thing. The thing about Batman Returns is Batman Returns couldn't get away with it because it made the implicit explicit, right? This gets away with it. Because it may it, it coats it all in this kind of weird comedy sixty six esque vibe that then yeah. you kind of miss half the time that's very, very strange. Yeah. Okay. It drives the Batmobile up a wall. Also, yeah. sorry, just it's to, wonderful. Yeah, also point out that we discussed um Top Gun a little while ago. Uh, yes. and the, the unique strangeness of Al Kilmer in how he delivers lines, how he stands still, mm-hmm. how he looks. And he gives Batman this odd 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 presence and like <laughs> and Bruce Wayne and all the rest of it. he's he's like he's like whoa I'm Batman that's, <laughs> like, that's very very like, every now and yeah, then yeah, he wakes up and yeah, remembers who he is like the bonkers. part that always st- stands out to me is you know that part where like he's coming down because he has an appointment with um, Nicole Kidman's yeah. character Dr. Dr. Chase, Chase Meridian, Meridian yeah, yeah, yeah. who has a fantastic which is such a Riverdale fantastic name. name but he he hears like what sounds like a scuffle and then he breaks down the door of her apartment and he's just like oh sorry kind of thing and he just lifts up the door and replaces it <laughs> and like nothing is said about it she's just like oh well I need a new door like it's fine it's that kind of I, I but, like but the it's tone that moment it. where he's just kind of standing yeah. there going oh yeah I'm Bruce Wayne I'm he someone he really really important. should have kept Kilmer because uh, um, he's miles better than I've, like, yeah. I've actually better. conducted research into this actually in preparation of course you have the uh, Hollywood Reporter ran a survey last week to mark the casting of yes, Robert the, Pattinson the Hollywood Reporter Jay's favourite publication yes. but I mean like <laughs> did actual, he make 12 articles out of this actual, also let's not even get started but, on Robert Pattinson but an actual <laughs> scientific study like survey quality the and, and they, they ranked basically they asked the American public and they asked the public in general noted what for the, their strong decisions what their opinions were and how they would rank yes. the best Batman 
Go on. Um, and basically, the results... Are we particularly interested in the results? Because yeah, I kind of want to hear Interestingly it. enough, and I was really disappointed with this, they left Adam West off, because Adam West Aww. is... And they left Kevin Conroy, Conroy off, and that's, you know, I can understand that, because Master of the Phantasm is a bit of a niche property. But anyway, People the ranking... People love Kevin Conroy, though. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's, he's such he's like he, he comes to Comic-Con, like, every week, yeah. every year, and but, people do be, like, like mobbing yeah. him. But uh, anyway, so do we want to start at the bottom or the top? Start at the top and don't even tell us the bottom. Okay. Just cool. tell us, like, the top three. I'm okay, well, then top one is Bale, right? Top one's Bale, Ew. then Second Keaton. Keaton, yeah. Second Keaton, Keaton should be top. Then... I go they, They're there. very close to one another, and Keaton, I think that's fair. Him. I think that I think I think the public got it right in this case. It's Bale narrowly, and then it's Keaton. Then there's I can't a big gap. Divorce Christian Bale the, from it, though. Then there's Clooney. No, he's terrible. Then, Again, Americans make terrible decisions. Clooney, 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 forever. Clooney is fantastic as Bruce Wayne. Clooney is the best Bruce what, Wayne in the, the franchise ever had. in the same way that like Batfleck is good as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, Batfleck is next, which means at the bottom of the pile, by a significant distance, is Kilmer. Yeah. But they're These idiots. people are all fucking idiots. They're idiots. Absolute one and all. Idiots. One and all. What sad, sad loser picks George Nobody Clooney gives the, and, the big dick energy that Val Kilmer is. I'm going to raise my hand. That survey is pretty much the inside of Darren's head when it comes Kilmer to Kilmer brings big dick energy weird, to Batman. terrifying place. That's all I got to oh, say. What I like about Val Kilmer is that there's some, like, he is believable as, in, in terms of presenting Bruce Wayne as a sort of Absolutely. heartthrob. Like this is what I want people presence. to see me as. Yeah, yeah like yeah. he's believable in that sense a lot more so than a lot of the other characters who have played Batman. Like I do prefer Michael Keaton overall because I like that he has that. a certain edge to him that I think comes through. Yeah, there's a darkness to him like that. Yeah, in the way, and he's he's almost anti-casting. Well, it's also yeah. weird. Like again, yeah. like it's yeah, this yeah. idea. Like you can buy he's kooky. Well, you yeah. can buy Michael he Keaton has sort as a billionaire. Of a curly fro thing yeah. going on. Yeah. You can buy Michael Keaton as a billionaire whose dream is to turn himself into a giant bat. Like yeah. that's that's. He, I believe point. Michael Keaton wants to hang upside down. Yeah, every so single goddamn time. Yeah, yeah. And glues yeah. his, yeah, yeah. his arms to his chest. Yeah. And he has good lips for the bat kill. Yeah. Not as good as Kilmer's lips, no. but good lips nevertheless. Kilmer was a handsome devil back then. Oh my god, he was a babe. My god. I was so in love with him when I was younger, and I was so in love with Chris O'Donnell. And this movie, it's it's astonishing to me that I survived it. Also because... Stop it, Aaron. Like, Chris O'Donnell does be, like, going through this with, like, his angst and his earring and his leather jacket and his motorbike. And, like, what was I supposed to do as a poor little nine-year-old? Like, I have no defences. I will point out, just before we finish on this, that the introduction of Chris O'Donnell's Robin is miles, and I mean miles yeah. better than fucking Joe Spartan. He's an acrobat. In, uh... Funny you should mention oh, that, Jay. That's go. a nice here bridge we... over to what I watch. Do it, do it. Do it. No, 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 Let, before no. No, no, no. I think we're happy. No, no, no. You're wrong, Darren. Myself okay. and Grace are right. We can <laughs> leave her at that. You want to know what my issue with Batman Forever is? No, very we don't. No, we don't. My issue with Batman Forever is not that it's kooky or it's campy or it's fun. I actually much prefer Batman and Robin because it's kooky and campy and silly and goofy and it's puns. Because he has a bad credit card. He has puns with it's puns. It's only puns. It's uh, always puns. It's goofy. There. It's silly. It's ridiculous. It's in your face. It's absurd. It's bright. It's neon glow. It's not entertainingly but, so. Batman Forever is entertainingly daft. Batman Forever is that you watch it and you think that the people involved at some point genuinely believe that we're making a film, a proper serious film. Well, I don't believe words. that at all. Uh, you, have you not read any interviews with Schumacher? No. But I mean, even within the film... Schumacher's have... a little deluded in fairness. Like, I mean, you know that from all his films. I love Schumacher too. But does it Schumacher thinks he's William Freakin, right? 
know? Schumacher thinks he's William Friedkin. Everybody else <laughs> thinks he's Joel Schumacher. That's the problem with Schumacher. Okay. But again, but even within Schumacher Batman gave Forever, us the Lost Boys. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even like, I kind of like a time to kill despite all its problems. And, you know, that's Schum- what... I like kind of like all Schumacher films yes. despite all their problems. I mean, like, literally all of them. I love sitting there going, oh, you. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, the issue with Batman Forever is that there's a sense within it that like Schumacher's like, he's actually making a proper film. I and disagree. you have like this image of like the bat flapping through in the night and the sense that Batman I'm not Batman because I want because I need to be I'm Batman because I choose to be and it's like are you making a point do you, like, are you making an argument don't you this think character? too much about Batman no 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 but, <laughs> you're, you're like uh, just like, for your I mean, oh, your therapist dude. I absolutely it's adore an intervention. Adam West Batman who's like my parents are dead Mention it once in the first episode, and Darkest. that's all. No, no but parents. That, that, that's all it yeah, is. Yeah, but that's superhero and culture, though, in fairness. No, but that, that's fine. Like, okay, but I'm, my point is more that, like, it's possible to do that without, like, doing the really melodramatic, absurd stuff or the heavy, dark stuff. But you can't do that and then do the camp stuff and of expect them to jail. Can. And it does. I think, I think it actually works because it Me makes... Too. It heightens the melodrama of his past. And it is melodrama. It's not drama. It is yeah. melodrama in exactly that way. Like, it this actually is a seems place to fit called in Riverdale perfectly earlier, in this and that's world. a perfect pigeon's home. Because mm-hmm. that show was fucking out there. See, and it pitches exactly that the, point. I look into Val Kilmer's dead, beady eyes. And I, I, dare Val, I won't have a bad word said against our Val. I didn't God say, damn I didn't say they weren't sexy, dead, beady eyes. No, you didn't, eyes. in fairness. Um, but I look into his dead, beady eyes. Val and Kilmer has more gravitas as an actor than any of you give him credit for. I love Val Kilmer. I think Val Kilmer can be very well used. Val Kilmer is a better Batman than George Clooney. No. He's a better Batman than George Ben Affleck. Nope. He's a better Batman, like a Batman to than me, Christian though. Bale. He's just kind no. of George Clooney. The thing is, I think Christian Bale is very good as Batman, <laughs> but it's very I'm hard Batman. for me to <laughs> not Nobody see... Knows my voice. <laughs> it's very hard for me to Sorry. not see Christian Bale. Right I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Grace. Sorry, Grace. No, it's just very hard to, for me to not see Christian Bale. Like Christian Bale at your party eating all the pizza, hitting on your niece. You've heard this song, right? Yeah, there you go. Like, I just see Christian Bale. Which Hitting your niece is so perfect. But, like, <laughs> you can somehow look past Val Kilmer. No, Val Kilmer do it with a Kilmer smile on his face. Val Kilmer is believable as this absolute loser of a millionaire. Like, Val Kilmer, like yeah, exactly that. Kilmer is like, he knows he's a bit of a douche. He's probably not the worst Batman in that regard. He's but he's so far from the best. Adam West is the best in that Adam regard. West is fantastic. Adam, Adam West is your uncle. He'll take your niece out of the party to protect her. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Adam West would do. Adam West is well, the guy Christian who... Bale is there eating all your pizza. He, he, he exactly. walks into the bar in the first you know, episode of Batman. Says like, uh, I'll just go to the bar and order myself a drink. I should I order myself a glass of milk. I shouldn't want to draw attention. Uh, which is great. I love yeah, Adam yeah. West Batman. Anyway, sorry. But I guess that brings us neatly to what I watched. And what I rewatched watch, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, uh, the best Batman film in a series. You've watched like I've thousands of times. thrown it down. The, the best Batman thing. film the ever. The best third Batman film in a series by a significant Hang margin. On a it's not even Hang close. Parts of it are good. Hang on. The, There's only one other third Batman film in the series. In a series. So Batman Forever is a better film. No, it's the best. It's a better film. It is not a better it's film. It's a better film. It is not. It's a better film. Jay, we can keep doing this. Oh, we will. I've got all night. I would probably watch Batman Forever before I'd watch The Dark Knight and Rises. And then some. Anyway, Dark Knight I don't Rises. mind The Dark Knight Rises, but I'm I think gonna rewatch because Darren keeps problems. banging on about every flipping podcast, yeah. so I will rewatch it. The Dark Knight Rises is the best movie of 2016, just released long. four years too early. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. It's a it probably would both. make more sense in fairness if it was released now than when it was actually yeah. released. It's again, it's a story about class, about wealth, about the idea of the obligation that the people owe to society. Things and Nolan knows loads about. Well, hey, um, to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> uh, but I'm yeah. a privileged British white male. Sorry, <laughs> continue. Okay. Um, 
still doesn't change the fact that, yes, it is a very well-observed piece of social commentary that tracks into this idea of resentment and wealth and wealth distribution and the idea of simmering class tensions that erode and collapse and, you know, basically attack American society's foundations. And also Nolan's complete inability to convey the passage of time, which is something that came up in Dunkirk as well, where it's like, it's meant to have been six months since this descended upon Gotham, like WT. Well, I mean, it is literally... How did you convey that with the falling of snow? Congratulations, I actually don't mind that. You were profound. That's exactly what Lady Bird does. But anyway, sorry. No, actually, it isn't. It is exactly what It is totally not. It is exactly what Lady Bird does. Don't be so silly. It is exactly what Thank you all. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Unky J. If you hear snore, just be proud of me and wake up. Anyway, so that's grand. Fantastic. One of the best (laughs) best film of 2016 just released four years ago. Everybody says this podcast is groaning now, Darren. Also Except the ones who agree with them. Also, rewatched. I don't know what it is. It's just fantastic. And again, it's Nolan having great fun in the comic book wheelhouse. Nolan like, and fun, fun are not things that belong in the same sentence. I can just imagine sitting there going, mm-hmm, I feel uncomfortable and leaving. That's a little unfair, a little harsh. This is, you know, this is a movie that features a flying bat plane. Yes, well, when he's sitting there watching 2001 for the 900th time, I'm sure he cares. And a riffing, a riffing. There is a man who knows how to party. A famous riff. It actually has a better homage to Batman 66 than Batman Forever. Batman 66, Batman Forever has its holy metal Batman, whereas Holy rusted metal Batman, excuse you. Whereas uh, The Dark Knight Rises actually has some days you can't get rid of a bomb as it's like central premise, which I absolutely adore. And let's not forget Catwoman backflipping out of a window and high heels that's a thing that happens um anyway so in terms of other stuff that i watched i watched sanjuro which is the uh akira kurosawa's second sequel the sequel to yojimbo uh first time watch for me i've never uh, seen it it's great fun it's pure pulp um it was again akira kurosawa being akira kurosawa he was adapting uh yamoto's novel peaceful days um and then released yojimbo yojimbo turned out to be a massive success the studio were like hey you got any more of this and he's like well i have this other script i'm working on. i was like yeah turn that into a sequel to yojimbo so he basically sticks in this character sanjuro into the narrative and basically proceeds to rip through it it's fantastic it's this sort of like almost parody of this old-fashioned sort of samurai yeah. epic i'm pretty underseen on uh kurosawa i've seen it few handful like the, the kind of famous ones well the I, big ones but I, I know they're all in Criterion so I'm going to get some eventually when I have more time when I win the logo that's it exactly I mean I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert I'm underseen outside I of the samurai I pretend to be stuff. an I mean, now, to be expert go ahead well if you look at Kurosawa's filmography in terms of contextualizing yes, but yeah. uh, quite quite but no Sanjuro is great fun it's nowhere near as like inverted commas important as Yojimbo is Yojimbo being a commentary on contemporary Japanese society Sanjuro is just Kurosawa having like a month off because again he finished he would edit these movies as he'd shoot them so he'd famously yeah. wrap them up four days before the premiere and mm-hmm. basically release them there um, which is astounding I like uh, in terms thing. of production that's, that's a little terrifying <laughs> um, well I mean Sanjuro was produced within uh, six months of the release of Yojimbo which is Oy. just again and you can kind of like imagine telling a director today you have to produce a sequel to this massive hit. I have to say, sorry, Yo Jimbo just sounds like a Dublin thing. Yo Jimbo! Yo Jimbo! Get in there! Yo, comma, Jimbo, what are you doing? Um, anyway, after watching Sanjuro, I had a bit of a yearning um, to watch more samurai films and I noticed that the Criterion app now has Chromecasting as an option. You're all so you over broadca- it. Well, you can broadcast to your television if you don't own a but fancy Welcome to 2019. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people have Fire Sticks, but I use uh, Chromecast. So this was a great option. Watch some Godzilla on there, which is great. Love Gojira. Godzilla. Gojira. Gojira. Uh, versus Mecha Gojira. But uh, they also have the Lone Wolf and Cup series on there at the moment as well, which is very which worth is on my list to watch. Uh, um, and has been for quite some time since it's Filmstruck. pure schlocky action movie stuff. Again, this is pure like 1970s adaptation of a beloved manga. It's 
goofy. It's very silly. The plotting is ridiculously overwrought to the point of like heightened melodrama. There's this 10 minute scene in which the main character slowly figures out that he's been betrayed like 10 minutes after the audience has already got there because he hey, has wait to... wait a minute. Yeah, he has to lay out <laughs> the entire on. politics, historical politics of Japan. But underneath it all, it's, it's, rough, it's got rough deal. striking the visuals, uh, solid thematic kind of underpinnings. Again, it's this story about like an older generation that has failed their children, that has created a world. It's basically like the road uh, but with a pram that has knives built into it, which I mean, Jesus. come on, <laughs> who, has, pram? who hasn't looked at the road and said, "You know what? This needs razor blades, baby." Razor um, blades and a pram. It's set in a feudal Japan where apparently everybody is there suffers. Any other Japan? Any everybody suffers from absurdly high blood pressure. Yeah. So to the point where, like, right. when you stab somebody with a, in the neck or like across the chest, always saying the bitch you've released the, yeah. the little gift you put the, up. Yeah. You know, you're practically doing them a mercy because let's face it, they probably weren't going to live to the end of the week if their blood pressure was that high. True it that. is pure schlock through and through. It's incredibly trashy. Um, again, this is exploitation cinema 101. There's a really graphic, unnecessary sexual assault sequence that is followed by weird, trashy, art house like sex scene intercut with three different angles overlaid with one another that's equally creepy and Who doesn't love those? I, but that's the, again, this is this is pure. You can tell that like when they're designing this, it's like this is going straight onto the B-movie. There were six different movies in the series produced adapting the manga from beginning to end. And there was also even, um, what was it called? Uh, there was even the American dub, which is Shogun Assassin, which was the first two movies sort of mashed together um, to kind mm. of became one of Quentin Tarantino's favourite films, as you might of imagine. Of course it bloody uh, But anyway, Tarantino. let's move on to covering the Week in Film News. Just Week in Film Excellent. News. Tell me all, Darren. All right, then. So, our attempts to sort of cut down and shorten the What We Watch This Week segment may not have worked. No, we'll be, we'll be, I, re- I have been on in two weeks, in fairness. We were definitely more spare than we could have been. <laughs> were we? Uh, yeah. All right, good, all right. good for us. I think we were. So, again, lots of news coming out from the Galway Film Flow, which is happening in three weeks' time, I believe, actually. We're all very, very excited about this. I cannot wait. Uh, it is a it's highlight. Jay's highlight of the year. It is indeed. Well, it's, it's a lot of people highlight of the year. It's, it's Roman Christmas. As well. it's, it, yeah. Um, Sandwich pizza. And Grace is also <laughs> heading down, and Niall will be there as well, I'm afraid. I, unfortunately, won't. As <laughs> you were saying, like, Niall will be there as well, I'm afraid. Niall, we will hang out with you. Even <laughs> if it's a pity hangout. Yeah. Um, no, Niall will be down there as well. Grace will be down there. Um, Ronan and Jay will be down there as well. So if you are at the film fla, please feel free to say hello. We're all Not very, me, very no, don't social. say hello to me. No, I'm joking. Uh, do say hello. Running... Do say hello to Jay just so we can take a picture of his face. Oh. <laughs> running from the 9th of July through the 14th. Um, there are a number of masterclasses taking place uh, which are I'm very giving one your... finally uh... <laughs> well, Jeez, I'm glad that we have exclusive we have an exclusive sort yeah. of on the podcast here um, but yeah it'll be the Countess Markovich story um, he'll finally. be enacting it with shadow puppets but yeah um, <laughs> I know tickets are, are already gone um, it's sold out it instantaneously yeah. it's the you most get them incredible on, uh, success in the history of the Seatway for 400 quid each uh, Standing I wouldn't room recommend only. it <laughs> But yeah, um, in terms of in terms of masterclasses that are actually happening, yes, uh, Ross and John Hubbard of Hubbard's Casting are ho- returning to host their usually popular Hubbard casting- and Hubbard. I, that would have been a great name. <laughs> I mean, you can have that for your, free. There's your pitch right there. 
Um, this is why Jay couldn't get a get a, couldn't get his own master class because he was too busy pitching names. It's like we like the name. It's like I'm what's too political. It? That's the problem. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Yeah, uh, you're you're a hot He's potato. He's being censored because of his politics. Um, but Ross and John Hubbard are hosting their casting workshop in association with Spotlight on Saturday the thirteenth. Very good. Uh, Alison Anders uh, is the subject oh. of the writers' master class. Will be taking place on Thursday the eleventh of July. Is a fantastic Kentucky-born, LA-raised, uh, who's written on stuff like Border Radio, Gas Food Lodging, Mi Vida Loca, Grace of Heart and Sugar Grace Town. of My Heart is brilliant. It's one of my favourite Alison Anders films. It's glorious. She's also directed episodes of Sex and the City, Orange is the New Black, Southland, Riverdale, Grace. Um, Beautiful. Murder in the First and recently Sorry for Your Loss. And she's only one day being off my birthday, unfortunately, but she's not. And she's nominated for an Emmy for Best Director for the Lifetime movie Ring of Fire, wherein she casts John Doe as the father of country music A.P. Carter. Interesting. Uh, she's a MacArthur Fellow as well and won a Peabody Award. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, no but pressure. seriously, watch Grace in My Heart. And that's oh. your name, Grace and everything. So, you well, they love it. They'll be screening uh, Gas Food Lodging on Wednesday, the 10th of July. Which is well, also actually, good. Which is the. Have you seen it as well? Yeah, yeah it's yeah, very good. Perfect. I haven't seen it in years, but it's very. Um, this year's Director's Masterclass uh, will be given by uh, Gurinder Chadda. Uh, um, um Blinded by the Light, yeah. uh, Baji on the Beach. Yeah. Um, so basically, film that as well, I think. yeah, she has indeed. She's returning actually with Blinded by the Light, um, and that one is. But yeah, it's it's starring actors like Haley Atwell and Rob Brydon as well, supporting a young and talented multi cast as well. Um, so there's that happening as well, and then Will Fort will be delivering the Actors Masterclass on Saturday the fourteenth. Well, that is interesting. His day in Hi. Oh, sorry, I sorry. I'm a, I'm uh, would you go if you were the last man on earth? I might. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so there's a host of fascinating stuff happening there. And I mean, this is not the only thing. There's a host Him, of... Hit the actual... Don't bury the lead, Darren. Tell it. Okay. The Film Flat has announced a number. Now, it hasn't announced its full program, but... Just announced... this one. Tell me this one. Okay, you want... This is exciting. You know the one I'm talking about. I know about. the one you're talking about. You're talking about Cagney and Lacey. Cagney and MNF and Lacey. Are... Well, okay. They're not coming... Well, the, the well Ty Daly is. Yeah. Ty, Ty Daly is coming over yep. for her because she's a film coming out at Bread Factory 1 and 2, which yeah. are supposed to be superb. And they're showing a Kagi Lacey the Baboon! Yeah, they're showing a two-part <laughs> Sorry, episode, I love actually. Kagi Lacey, well Are you excited, Jay? Astonishingly so. Yeah. My favourite Kagi and Lacey fac- factoid is the way um, Terry in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, his daughters, are called Kagi and Lacey. Fantastic. It's amazing. But yeah, they'll be screening the classic two-parter Turn, Turn, Turn as well. Um, and they'll be hosting a discussion as well. Uh, I is... loved that show when it was called. Loved it. Um, so that's taking place what day do you know when that is no I do don't. not Darren okay. that's your job I'm, I'm here to talk <laughs> about stuff I, don't, I can't be giving dates and stuff come on like. okay alright then Jesus fine what do you you're think I am you're organised one Darren come on Darren, Darren. Like, we're, we're spoofers like. we just semi-drunk and yeah, like, crap <laughs> I'm barely semi-coherent at the best of time Darren uh, but yeah, so in terms of other stuff that's happening, uh, oh, uh, Jihadi Jane uh, will be having its, or Jihad Jane will be having its world premiere um, at the 31st Galway Film Flat. Oh. We announced some of the films that are in the lineup already, but uh, Jihad Jane is the latest announced. Okay. It's directed by Kieran Cassidy and produced by Fastnet Films. Very it's good. a story of the most absurd terror cell ever to come together. It's a cell of two women who went looking for love online and became the new face of the war on terror. You could do Jesus. that, Grace. Me. The, you could be the new face in the war in terror. I sincerely hope not. Um, in terms That's of a level of public she had um, grace. recognition that I'm just not willing to open myself no. up to. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dating but, profile. Yeah. I, I I could go for jihad. Um, right as you mentioned already, Blinded by the Light uh, is is there as well. Yes. Um, but there's also European premieres at Galway will include the American indie drama Adam, the slice of life drama Driveways, um, which are both produced by the former CEO of Focus Pictures, uh, James Shamus, as Who well. Produced a lot of uh, Ang Lee films. Yeah. Uh, what's his kind of no 
Yeah, which is is very worth seeking out as well. So there's a whole host of stuff there. And again, check out GoAwayFilmFlat.com. And I think the 25th of June is when they're announcing the full program, I think. So that's... Wow, that was over pretty much there. Um, See, I do know stuff. Yeah. I was just hiding earlier on with the facts. I know stuff. <laughs> All right, Jeez. let's move a bit closer to home for, to the IFI. Uh, the IFI have a number of seasons taking place. Um, notably, Robert Bresson uh, yes. is having a retrospective. And it's full, uh, full is at least 12 films. Uh, eight of them, I think, on 35mm, if that's your bag. Yeah. Um, I've seen a handful, not a huge amount of it, three or four, I think. Um, they're very good the ones I've seen Pickpocket is the best prison film Ignoring NDV is the best uh, prison film ever made Pick a, Pickpocket is on the sorry Pickapocket makes it sound like Pickapocket is an Oliver, yeah, it's Oliver, Oliver Twist. Twist version yeah, yeah. but Pickpocket will Got be a screening Pickapocket or two yeah. <laughs> Pickpocket <laughs> will be screening on Saturday uh, the 13th at 4pm when we're in Galway god uh, damn it no, there's a significant overlap with thanks Galway, IFI <laughs> okay, okay or we Jeez. really appreciate the work no, that we you do no we don't okay. but then when I miss a film but now I do a money show but yeah full season schedule running from the 2nd through to the 30th as well yeah, they're, they're, the films I've seen of his are very good I want to see more so I'll hopefully catch some of those well I mean they do have a multi-film pass which will be five films for 45 yeah they do have well, seasons which is, actually which is pretty decent yeah which is a great way of sort of kind of evening that out a great way to sort of spread the love so to speak um, also worth noting that again in July um, the film festival will be back the, the family film festival at the IFI will be back running from Friday June tw- uh, July 26th to Sunday July 28th as well where do you uh, go so they've got a whole bunch of great stuff on they're opening they've got Minuscule which is Mandibles from Far Away uh, which is a French film as well which is recommended for ages 6 plus they'll be running a double bill of shorts uh, on Saturday morning from 11 till about 3 o'clock which is Short Tales 1 Short Tales 2 okay. uh, Short Tales 1 is appropriate for children over the age of 4 Short Tales 2 I'm is there. appropriate for children over the age of 8 so no excuse for any of us there <laughs> um, there's like uh, Chuskit Soon versus Soon as well running on Saturday um, and in terms of uh, other stuff happening there, there, again wide variety of stuff A Town Called Panic actually uh, which I think uh, Ronan was... discussed on there Did he, do I remember Ronan discussing A Town I Called Panic? I feel like he might have so Stop motion film, um, which is that was Air- at Galway last year. Yeah, that's it exactly. Uh, and I don't think it went over too well, but I could be wrong. Okay, um, there you go. But Aaron Aaron McGathy uh, will be bring will be introducing the film as well, uh, which is very good. Very as good. Well. So that's very worth seeking out as well. And again, ticket prices start from uh, five euro fifty for all tickets, including the opening night film. Uh, but a family ticket for film, which uh, covers both feature films and shorts, uh, costs sixteen euro fifty cent for two adults and two children, or one adult and three children. These- um, and again, if you aren't able to make it to, to the IFI, and I really appreciate this, highlights of the festival will show at Glore in Ennis uh, from September 6th through 8th, which is nice. So it's nice to see that, you know, they're not entirely sort of yeah. forgotten. And it's always good to kind of get that going um, out there. Uh, in terms of other uh, cinemas and other festivals, the Lighthouse are having their sort of Wonder Years festival, which will be running from oh. the 6th of July all the way through to the 5th of September which is quite a long sort of season, yeah. uh, but covering a whole host of like some beloved... Films, uh, uh, yeah, some absolutely amazing films. Naturally, you will never guess what is coming back to the IFI. Call me by your name. Of course it is. I'm surprised it even what? left. But yeah. Did, Did it ever leave, really so left? It sort of just took a would break. Never leave. She'd just bring yeah. it back when the demand's there. Yeah. Forever. And the demand is always there, yeah, but it's covering everything so. from like Rebel Without a Cause to Sing Street to Kill a Mockingbird to The Lion King, Empire of the Sun, all of the Harry Potters as well, including a Harry Potter sleepover. Which is sold Which out. Is sold out. Yeah, Already? Pretty much straight away. Jesus. Thankfully, because I wouldn't have gone. But, yeah. <laughs> okay, fun. just keep pottering because if on. if it didn't sell out, the temptation would always have been there for you, Jay. It would have. Yeah. Um, um, but they're also showing Lady Bird and um, Marie Antoinette, which is fun. 
I want to. I never seen Marie Antoinette and Antoinette. Uh, Marie so Antoinette should, is worthy. It's, I love Kirsten it's a little Lansford. strange, but it's yeah. worthy. Okay. Um, in terms of Irish film news, Breakout Pictures are releasing the Irish co-production Animals in cinemas on August 9th. This one you may be familiar, starring Holiday Granger and Alia Shawkat. Holiday Granger. Uh, That's yes. her name. Holiday. Granger. Is it? Yeah. yeah. From my cousin That's Rachel. Not a well. real name. Uh, Patrick Mellis. It, it may or may not be a real name, but she's. It's filmed. The, it's filmed she the was the sister in the Borges. If I'm right. It's not a real name. I don't care what she. Okay. <laughs> Miss Granger. Anyway, will be co-starring with Alia Shawkat. Yeah. As, is that name okay? Does That's that fine. Okay. She's in uh, Rest Development. <laughs> oh, okay. So, okay. Green Green Room. Um, yes, she was also in Green Room and Transparent as well. Yeah, she's good. And this was filmed in Dublin, I think. This was part, indeed. Partly filmed. Um, and I think it overlapped with the uh, Repeal the Eighth campaign as well, if I'm correct. Yes, she was, uh, she was quite the supporter. Of was very, yeah, yeah. Very, she very had a repeal um, jumper. Yeah. Good on her. Uh, but yeah, so uh, it's a celebration of female friendship and the choices that we make. Who doesn't love it's those? It's an honest, unconventional, and very funny snapshot of two modern women. Um, so yes, yeah, so you can check that out in Irish cinemas from August 9th as Definitely. well. Um, all right then, so I think that sort of rounds up the week in film news, unless there's anything else that anybody would like to talk no, about. No, you covered it all now, in a very professional manner, I might add. Oh, thank you, Jay. <laughs> thank you. That's all right. Um, all right then, so let's move on to looking at the top ten. Yay. Interesting note that though <laughs> Avengers Endgame dropped out of the top ten this week, it will be coming back to cinemas very, very soon, because you got to get that sweet, sweet, sweet I Avatar. Did it ever actually fully leave cinemas, though? Because I feel no, like it's I would have... at the moment. Yeah, like... It is actually still at the moment. It's, it's going to just... have the blooper at the end as well so we can all enjoy that yeah it's just left uh, it just left the top 10 this week great um, so that'll be re-released and it'll have some extra credit scenes so it's going to be um, now 11 hours long yeah uh, so enjoy that people. I'll sit and watch all of it I know you will Grace you're a true I don't give a shit <laughs> At number 10, and really delighted to see this come in. This didn't make it in last week, and we lost the recording of us discussing it. So it's Late Night, uh, which is written by Mindy Kaling, directed by Nisha Ganatra, uh, starring Emma Thompson, Mindy Kaling, Amy Ryan, um, and a host of other performers as well, including John Lithgow um, and Hugh Dancy. This, this has is, all the makings of something decent. Is there? Is there something decent? It's there? something very decent indeed. Okay. It's a standard formulaic women at work sort of comedy in the style of like 9 to 5, to pick an example. I think Grey cited Morning Glory. Uh, even early in the year, you had stuff like Second Act, which wasn't a particularly great example of the genre, but demonstrated sort of like what okay. it is. It's this idea, again, of, of a woman entering a workplace in which traditionally she may or may not feel comfortable and then sort of like earning respect and learning to balance so like work and life. Sort of, it's that workplace comedy <laughs> sort of thing going on. Uh, and it's really good. And it works in the same way that a lot of the romantic comedy boom of okay. the past year has worked which is that it understands that the structures uh, of the genre are not kind of shackles, that no, they're no, actually part it. of the appeal. No, yeah, but yeah, they're also part of the appeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course they're. It's like doing that last minute sprint and set it up. Is like it's not a bug of the romantic comedy that that's a feature of the genre. It's a feature. God, I want to rewatch set it up. Yeah. Anyway, um, Late night has that same sort of thing. It doesn't exactly break down or redefine any of genres. It's very much a wish fulfillment story, but it does understand that you need to tweak it a little bit and modernize okay. it and sort of bring it into the present. And I really, really liked it. I highly okay. recommend it. At number nine, John Wick Parabellum. Yay! Still haven't seen it. I will catch it at some point in the future and then complain. Will you see it at the weekend? <laughs> no. If you're not rushing out to see it at this stage. I don't particularly care. Yeah. But the grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not your mug at number eight, uh, one of the films that has surprisingly helped to keep the box office afloat in what has been a very dry, very desolate summer season outside of the Avengers, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which has earned 1.1 million euro at the Irish box office Who today. Who'd have thunk it? 
it was like up until this weekend it was the best film of the summer by a significant margin um it's good fun it's I the lowest it. of bars on my dad it's not <laughs> been a, it's not been a great it's not summer, been a great summer no uh very pleased to see diego maradona in at number seven actually um, but it's not him though is it it's oh okay diego maradona himself i was about to say it just like as a person he's just been visiting cinemas and they've been selling tickets to yeah. come look he, at him actually in fairness yeah. he could do that uh yeah. this is that does the, sound like something he'd do as well it is he performs a few quid at him he will literally do it yeah. uh <laughs> Is the as a uh, comedian film? Yes, it is. Uh, the director the of Senna, director of Amy. Yeah, I will get to this. I'm a Maradona was one of my idols growing up. Um, when I was a youngster, because I watched Mexico '86 where he shone. Were you ever a youngster though? Um, yeah, you'd be surprised. Um, mm. I, I'd be surprised quite frankly to say. But yeah, so I was a big Maradona fan. I am not the world's biggest comedian uh, fan. I yeah. didn't particularly like Senna, and I didn't particularly like Amy either. I think that Alex, who was on the podcast yeah, was last week, podcast, talked about how, yeah, he thought that Amy was a bit exploitative. It is, stuff. a little. But, I mean, has, Winehouse is great as a central person and carries it past some really rocky stuff. Yeah. And I've heard mixed things about this. The Maradona, some people really like it. Some people were like, just watch YouTube for three hours yeah. and they'll get as much from it. And I think, he, as a director, he tends to expensively assemble a, a lot of yeah. footage as opposed to say anything about it, such, mm-hmm. which I would agree on two films, but I will see on this one. And it's worth noting that Luke Dunn, who's been on this podcast, actually saw it and gives its wholehearted thumbs up to it. He remarks that... no. Okay. I'm joking. Uh, I'm only joking, Luke. That was a joke. We um, but uh, also, he noted that when he was in the cinema, the crowd still cheered at the goals, which I really like. I Especially against English, uh, which is, you know, I find national duty. Yeah, yeah. That's obligatory. Fun. Otherwise, we revoke your passport. That's Indeed, and really so. Yeah. At number six, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. How which can has a monster. Been comprehensively destroyed on this podcast previously. How can Thank a monster me, movie this horny it. be this boring? I don't know. It's very. I found the way. <laughs> Life finds a way. Yeah, Godzilla King the Monster is sad to see it. Uh, well, not sad to see it. You don't care. Well. It's terrible. Really, isn't yeah. it? Um, it does feel sort of weirdly inevitable, though, given the last Godzilla wasn't great. And this is just. The last Godzilla was Stripped out terrible. whatever little parts in it that people may have liked in the other one. So, yeah. Anyway, unfortunate. Well, I mean, I, I would argue, like, part of the problem with Godzilla King the Monsters is that it tries to combine the most incompatible parts of, like, Godzilla 2014. Yeah. Uh, Gojira, let them fight. And also um, Skull Island um, as well. Skull uh, Island is so enjoyable. much fun. No, I, I, lo- I love Skull that, Island, but there are parts... I was going to say I loved it, but I was surprised at how much like, I enjoyed it. It's like peanut butter and steak. It's like it's mm-hmm. these things, you know, maybe you like them separately, but I'm not sure putting them together is a good thing. Oui. Spaghetti bolognese can and I, like sherbet. Um, can I just say I don't eat steak, but I love peanut butter, so I generally when you put peanut butter or anything, I'm kind of all over it. So. Even tomatoes? Well, Jay, do no. I have do I have the movie for you, Jay? Do you, Darren? No, I don't. Okay, At number great. four, X Men: Dark Phoenix. Um, That's not the movie for me, Darren. I can not. assure you that. Uh, it's that's not very the... stale. Gone off peanut butter for Jay. Uh, yes. Hey, hey, hey! It's not even the worst superhero movie this summer. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's a mess what, of a what film. What shade are you throwing there, Darren? I'm not casting. Who was casting any shade? Is it the second darn, worst film darn, of the summer? Darren Anyway, you disappoint me all the time. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Thank Jay. you. Um, but yeah, Dark Phoenix is... Crap. Fascinating. <laughs> it, yes, fascinating, which means crap. Unfortunately, it, it, in Darren speak, fascinating does often mean crap. It does. It's endlessly fascinating. It's, it's, uh, it's, again, if you it's, don't have the energy to be fascinated by films that are crap, <laughs> it just means it's crap. It's... Okay, I, I found something very... Sometimes amazing. you're too nice. You're very just like, ooh, this is an interesting attempt to do X, Y, and Z, but it's still crap. 
I found something very amusing in like an X-Men movie that ends with the mutants taken into custody by the MCU uh, in last minute reshoots. I think there's something really deeply self-awarely hilarious. Grishy yeah, they're taken by who? By the mutant control unit. Uh, but they're the MCU and their branding is all MCU. So the MCU, ah, lit- the MCU literally show up at the climax yeah, no. of Dark Yep, they show up at the climax of Dark Phoenix and I'm take all the never. X-Men into custody. I'm not it's gonna amazing. Say it. I am never watching like another Marvel film ever. Tell me that's not amazing. Oh, Jesus. It's like the entire I appreciate that. I that. And fair. it's great because that's all a product of the reshoots. Why didn't that... they just send in Goofy and Donald Duck to fucking <laughs> arrest them? <laughs> the Mouse. Disney yeah. greedy <laughs> yeah. bastards. Um, well, Sorry. I mean, one gets the sense that this was maybe Kinberg oh. having a bit of fun. Interestingly enough, fun. Eh? fun. <laughs> oh, let's own everything. Aren't we hilarious? Well, no, no, the, no, Kinberg. The, the idea Capitalism. That, well, the idea is that. How Ki- much is Brian Singer earning off this Ki- film? My mind, I hope. Glad okay. it's bombing. Yes. Okay. Sure. Anyway, okay. Sorry, the issue is that again, this was produced under Fox before Fox was bought by Disney. The reshoots came after Fox yeah, was bought yeah, by sure. Disney. It was probably after, still fairly shit before. Af- like, let's be real. After it became I'm clear. Sorry. That, after it became clear okay. that like Kinberg's like vision of the X Men was going to be folded or whatever, for better or for worse, I like the idea that he took the opportunity to do reshoots to be like literally taking them into captivity by the MCU. Um, oh, do you think he thought of it in that way? I mean, he wasn't allowed to pick. He's like, do those shoots or we'll shoot you because <laughs> yeah. we're Disney. <laughs> I, we're going to stand there watching you operate the camera with an actual you gun to your if head. you don't film these did scenes. You, or no, holding up your dog and just going... Film hmm. them. Did you hear the... Um, do you hear the reason why it was supposed to it was supposed to release in, so this movie got pushed back several times supposed okay. to release last summer then what happened is they found out that uh, it was very close to Captain Marvel in terms of its theme content and ending so they had to do reshoots they delayed the reshoots in order to get all the cast together because obviously but if it got, was coming out just, before Captain Marvel then yeah yeah but I suspect he bet on one I suspect, yeah. I suspect that, again, when your new corporate overlords are pushing one of them in particular, you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah one, they're not pushing this one. Uh, originally, this was supposed to end up in February, uh, which is why it obviously has a much smaller scale, actually. It has a much consciously smaller scale than Apocalypse, because it's supposed to be a February release. What happened is, Cameron, James Cameron, found out that they were planning That's to ship it. Him. This is amazing. Found out James were... Cameron enters from left field. Yeah, he found out they were going to release an X-Men movie in February, and he was like, no, you don't. That's Alita territory. And he was like, fuck it, you're kicking it into the middle oh of summer. Oh my god, that did come out this year and everything, yeah. didn't it? Can we, can, can, sorry, isn't it worth mentioning the Alita internet weirdness? Uh, I know I'm very late I'm in not it, entirely right? sure we want to wait into that. Oh my particular... god. Okay, never mind. Actually, I don't no, want to. Let's don't just move on. It. Move on. Except, What's next? Except the Alita, hate, the Alita, can we burn the internet? The Alita down. internet madness is a very complicated minefield that I'm okay, going to... Okay, let's just not go into it then. Let's just no, move no, on. No, no, I'm okay. okay. Yeah. I don't think it will enrich it, our lives. I finally it, caught up to this probably six months ago yeah. thing as like, what is happening? It's something that you can't even talk about no, because can't. it's like, it is literally a minefield. At number four, it's Rocket Man. 1.3 million euro at the Irish box office today. Stop going to see by epics. That's all we're going to get shoved down our throats for the next ten years. People. Well, at Jesus. least it's something different from superhero movies, no? So, what? They're the same leading film over and over though yeah but I mean the same generic mass produced kind of movies that you like they just keep knocking them out until somebody makes something different that makes a ton of money and guys I think I have something different for you at number three what is it the Secret Life of Pets 2, which has earned 1.3 million at the Irish box office. Fair Animation, enough. eh? Fair enough. Um, but yeah. Like I said, you I saw, saw the well first there, one and telly, it wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, you. At number two, surprisingly, given its overall international and performance in America. Men in Black? Men in Black International. Oh, directed by F. Gary Gray. Men in Black. Men in Black was probably the best description. F. Gary Gray made this? Yeah, which I'm astounded by because F. Gary Gray is great. I really Is he great? F. Gary Gray. Tell, me what, <laughs> F. Gary Tell me what films he's made, Darren. He's made Fast, Fast and Furious, Furious movie. 
Oh, eight is it? Eight. eight of this indestructible franchise. Number eight is it? Eight has what a else? submarine and Charlie's Theron. Eight, eight is the one where the rock kicks a torpedo. Oh, wouldn't you tell me? Now we'll go back and watch the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. He seven also made straight out of Compton, eight. no? Yeah, he also made straight out of Compton as well. I quite like uh, which I really liked. Um, so no, and, and I think I've read some interviews with him which sounded questionable. But really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's disappointing. All your favorites. Actually, really, I really like. No liked... one is unproblematic. Okay, I, I am. Well, maybe I'm not. I, I was kind of rooting for him, but yeah, Men in Black International is a very strange film. It's not a good film. It's, it's, it's incredible. No, it's not. It's oh, just geez. dull, okay. which is the worst thing about it. It's lifeless. It's inert. It doesn't I really. Hate it's when that happens. Meh in Black is probably the like best if you're going to be shy, at least be like brilliantly, dramatically shy. Don't be boring. Yeah, but boring's it, worse. It has this again, and it has the central chemistry of Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, both of whom are really Sad. charming actors and should be popping off the screen with one another. But the film Excuse just me? keeps Tessa Thompson. All oh, right, Hemsworth. sorry. Yeah. You just say popping off the screen with each other. Yeah, they sort of Sorry. pop. Bit, like, All right, yeah. They have okay. presents. I get you. Wait, Sorry. what did you think I meant? What did you think I thought? Jay's Guinness went straight to his head. Yeah, Woo! there we go. Wow. Gaspar Noe's uh, Men in Black International will be a very that would different be a, film. Probably a better film. Of it probably will be a more memorable film. It would make yeah. less money, but be more well received. Yeah. Uh, the issue probably. of Men in Black International is it's very. Is it, it feels bad. Okay, well, it feels like a. It's not actually that bad. It's uh, not the worst It's probably bad. Let's be real. It's just dull. Hang on, sir. Just stop that for a second. What's the worst film you've seen this year? Uh, Polar, starring Mads Mikkelsen. Okay. I just because it's like, what could be under these? I wonder. I don't know where your bottom floor is. <laughs> your bottom floor is crazy. Is point. <laughs> yeah. Like, and Welcome to Marwin isn't even in like my bottom top ten at the Good moment. Jesus. Welcome to Marwin. We live in an hourglass where like a lot of Darren's bottom choices might be top choices for other people, and you just keep turning the thing around. Yeah. So, you know? you so, should watch Polar. It's on Netflix. No, you I shouldn't, it. Darren. It opens with Johnny Knoxville receiving a blowjob and getting shot in the head. How is that supposed to be something to encourage us to watch? I thought Johnny Knoxville. Is Johnny Knoxville even still alive? I was just trying to give you a sense of what it takes to earn half a star in Darren's rating system. Amazing. Um, that Darren, specific thing. That Johnny specific thing. You're, you're, you're like, unique. That's you, start with, you start at five stars and you whittle down as you go. That one lost four and a half instantly. Like, come on. Wow. I mean... Okay. It, Sorry, I, I did interrupt, but I was curious as to why you're talking about Okay, okay. okay. Oh, yeah, so I'm Black on. International, um, but very, very quickly. The thing yes. about it is it feels lost in time, and not just in the sense of being a revival of a 90s property that everybody's forgotten about, uh, yeah. even though I like Men in Black 3. It's got this weird thing... Where it's like, and it reminds me a bit of, say, the Game of Thrones and its handling of the the Night King and the sort of Night Walkers and stuff like that, where you've got this weird fascination in modern pop culture. It's also in Brightburn as well with its, with its interest on things like wasps and bees. This weird fascination with like old style Cold War kind of socialism. It's like the villain of this is the hive, which is a monster that infects people and transforms them into itself, where none of them have a distinct personality and they're capable of changing faces and stealing identities. It's very weird. Well, I mean, there's there are elements about it that are very awkward in that, again, it feels like it took its politics from the 90s, where it's like nominally positive on the idea of integration, immigration, the great Mm. migration. But it's also about again it's a men in black film so it's about the aliens arriving there's a moment where Raphael Spell's character says you know we used to protect earth from the scum of the universe now it looks like we just protect the scum and you're like what are Steady. you doing here what what's going on here what's what, that are you, mean? what point are you trying to make i mean and again there's it's a, not very subtle is it if that's no what, well, i mean it sounds to like. be fair the film is kind of setting Raphael Spell's character up as a red herring oh, okay but then doesn't which means it's like are we meant to think that was a like is that the film is that yeah, yeah, yeah that's the film was that not meant like... to mark him as a villain that obviously racist thing that he said because if it's not yeah <laughs> maybe it I've misread the room yeah, yeah, here yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's just it's a mess. It makes no sense. I'm not going uh, to see it. And I'm not going to see it because I've never seen Men in Black Three. I stopped at two. Is enough. Three. I really like three. Three is the best in the franchise. Um, I would. What? Argue. It couldn't be. I'm not a big fan of one and two is awful. So I mean, by default, three takes it. One has Vincent D'Onofrio. There's a really nice article on Vulture about his yeah about how he did the performance and he actually drank the sugar water. Also, Vincent D'Onofrio was one of the great people. He's 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 amazing. He's one of the purest. Yeah, Uh, we should all wish to be half as pure as D'Onofrio. And at number one, do we know what it's number? What's at number one? I don't care. What is it? Is it some animated children's movie? Nope. But is it some superhero film? Nope. Is it... Uh, I don't same remember. at number one as last week. I can't remember I last week. I wasn't even here last week. week. Same, week, was same number one as the week before. Uh, what's You've completely forgotten that it's is existed. It this is amazing. No, it's not Endgame. Okay. I actually have forgotten about it. This is amazing. This is actually very illustrative of a point that, you know, I feel like I need to make. At number one, it's Aladdin. Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. Earning oh, that's two a film, million isn't it? euro at the Irish See, that's the problem with this is, right? Guy, Guy Ritchie's going to be given more films. Not that yeah. failing has ever stopped him. But, like, he's just going to be given more and more films to ruin. The thing is, though, Guy Ritchie can make I... a decent movie every yeah, now and then. Yeah, he can. Then. Every now and but then this, he'll do something. You guys like The Man from Uncle. It's... I like Sherlock Holmes. The Man from I mean... Uncle is great. I, I like the Sherlock Holmes movies. I, I won't watch them because I mean, they, they do... look terrible. Okay. They look like Snatched doing... They're enjoyable, doing though. And they start Jude Law. They're not, like, amazing, but they are enjoyable. Uh, that's Grace Thurston after Jude Law again. That's all this is. Excuse you, Ronan also thirsts after Jude Law. Yeah, I am not here. I can only accuse you. I'll just accuse Ronan next week. So, so to speak. <laughs> All right then, let's move on to the new releases. So what's out this week? Sorry, Ronan. What is out this week? What is out this week, Darren? Oh, well, I'm glad that you asked. Um, Brightburn uh, is the... I am one. intrigued by this. Darren, the interest, sorry, just before you start, right? I know you were a kind of a fan of this. Yes. And I noticed on Twitter yesterday that a lot of people disagree with you. Yes. You're kind of in the minority. This I am in How does it feel, Darren? How does it feel? It's Sorry. always just, just like... That was a bit more aggressive than I was Yeah, that was very I'm proud of people falling over themselves to agree with Darren right. and definitely no, not tell him all the ways he's wrong. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And <laughs> that's not just this podcast. That's no. Let's be we calm. line up. Yeah. Sorry, no, we don't. But I mean, hey, like my, my review We take X- a ticket. My review of X-Men Dark Phoenix, which explicitly includes the line, this is not a good film, drew the attention of one particularly enthusiastic person from the United States of America who proceeded to post repeatedly under different aliases. From America? From the United States. Uh, Americans post, make poor decisions. We have mentioned this several times. About how I didn't hate the movie enough. Um, God damn it. I know. Darren, get out there with your sledgehammer and start smashing I shit. I know. It actually includes the line, this is not a good film. But anyway, Brightburn, uh, which is... Superman meets the Omen meets We Need to Talk About Kevin. This kind of looks like Looper, though, to me. You know how in Looper the child was, like, mental and murdering people for shits and giggles? I like Looper. Yeah, like, Looper wasn't bad, but it's funny. When I was watching the trailer for this, I just thought, I've seen this before, and it was Looper. Well, Looper itself is very much like Akira sort of thing as well. Um, Mm. Akira! Akira! (laughs) Kenida! <laughs> Tetsuo! Uh, but anyway, uh, sorry. The, the podcast descends into 10 minutes of myself and Jay shouting Kanida and Tetsuo at each other. Please don't. Um, yeah. But, Please uh, to excuse. Um, but yeah, the thing about Brightburn is that it is a very simple, very basic premise, and it's arguably nothing but that premise. It's a high concept. That's it's a good. sketch. It's a sketch. I can ex- get on board with that. Extended to, and it's a crisp ninety minutes as well. So Jay That's can also get on board with that as well. Which means that it doesn't. I look forward to watching itself. it six months from now. It's very shallow. It doesn't have a lot of nuance in there. It doesn't have any real subtlety going on there. But. But there's this, a but coming. There is a but, and I cannot lie. One of the things that I <laughs> found that's interesting that's about it is that. that it's very because it lacks subtlety or nuance, and also because it's so committed to the high concept that is, what if Superman were like Damien from The Omen? 
Um, and the way that it codes this and it turns this idea, the superhero iconography into like something from a horror film. At one moment, there's a moment where the call is coming from like 100 feet above the house, uh, which is like a very much a kind of a horror trope. Really? Uh, yeah. I kind of uh, like that. There's another moment where like the, you're watching the, the feet float across the floor, like from under the bed. Oh, I it, like that. Which is Grace very, is going to see this, yeah. aren't you, Grace? Um, I'm probably going to go see it anyway. My brother wants to see it, so. All right. One of the things. Sibling outing. I found myself, and again, I found myself a little uncomfortable watching this, and I think it speaks to the film, maybe, I hope. Um, although it, it's possible some other stuff is playing there as well. It's very canted in what it's about with the fantasies that it's dealing with. In that, like, this is a story about a teenage boy who's turning 12 uh, and whose parents are trying to deal with the fact that he is becoming something literally alien to them. Uh, literally monstrous, uh, something that is speaking to him and sending him coded messages. The first word that he learns in his own language is take. His father misguidedly tells him that you're going to have feelings about women and women's bodies and it's okay to act on your urges. That's not heteronormative uh, at all and yeah, also but, terrible. But I, the film, I, I give, and maybe I'm giving the film more credit than most people are, but I think that's entirely the point that the film is making okay. is that it's this idea of that teenage fantasy sort of like given form. It's this idea of the angry loner kid and the kid is repeatedly stressed as being a loner at his birthday party it's literally only adults who are related to him who bother to show up uh, when he gets angry clean, the screens flicker in the background I've yeah. seen if a couple I didn't read full reviews but I've seen a couple of uh, American critics talk about it and they were saying that the idea of it's very good yeah. but it doesn't quite yeah, it doesn't excel in the execution. Yeah. It doesn't what necessarily... is the significance of the title? Like, what's it referring to? Uh, it's the name of the town. Okay. Um, it's the name of the town. Like Riverdale. Yeah. Um, and it also means that you get your Superman logo. Again, your Clark Kent, Brightburn, uh, yeah. that sort of stuff. It's Brandon mm. Breyer, uh, that sort of stuff. It's it is a... a very interesting concept, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's something that's been done to death in comics. And I mean, you could... Probably better than, like, isn't there... I don't know if I imagine this, but isn't there a part of Justice League where Superman's like evil for a while? For like 10 minutes. Oh, okay. If you even. Right. Never he's mind. Also, he's also good and he also has a mustache. He's <laughs> also uh, older Superman 2, is it? Has a uh, Superman, Superman 4. Superman, has oh, Superman, Superman drinking. That's not Superman 4. Oh, Superman 3. Superman 3. It's the one where yeah, he goes yeah. drinking and has Yeah, double. and then he has a fight with himself yeah. uh, when he's <laughs> drunk. It's I mean, great. I mean, it's you, actually really good. You could even argue that like Brightburn is riffing on Zack Snyder's Man of Steel and it does this. It does these Terrence Malick shots, the swing set, the little bicycle with its wheel spinning in the grass, the lens flare against the... I knew a bit about that though in terms of the original Superman had that kind of... All Americana, rural sort of... Again, it's shot in Georgia so it doesn't actually look like Kansas but it has this rural and I kind of really like that again it's it's a very simple premise it's a comedy sketch you could argue that it should only be like 70 minutes long it's already overextended 90 but I really really liked it and it unsettled me in a way that I thought this was is very one effective. of these films that you kind of got me interested mm-hmm. in that every so often you do this in the podcast and I hate it because it's because you generally sit down and then the you have to go and see it and drastically disagree well like I probably won't go and see this to be fair but I will catch it at some point I will uh-huh. watch it where I was like I did long yeah, I'm intrigued. before that so you've, you've kind of won me around there I didn't partially. even know about its existence until the other week when my brother mentioned it so All right. I'm All curious right. to hear another take on it yeah at uh, also opening this week, Child's Play reboot, which is getting surprisingly uh, yeah, good reviews. Yeah, the reviews came out a couple of hours ago, and it was like they were like, "This is not bad, actually." Yeah, well, I mean, like the cast—they're probably starting from a very low bar. But the cast, like Aubrey Plaza, Mark Hamill, Brian Tyree Henry. Come I on. think the cast might 
elevated. At a, at a star, uh-huh. in the context of people want to, because they like the cast, they kind of want to wish yeah. her well a little bit. Yeah. So I, I take the reviews with a sort of little pinch. Well, if it, a little it bit. to be entertaining, at least, then I mean, that's... Has it got Jennifer Tilly? Uh, no. That must... Point. They recast the roles. It also doesn't have Brad Dorif. Ah, uh, uh, still going. Mark like, Hamill. No, I know he was in the Dead movie, yeah. They replaced him with Mark Hamill. Uh, um, like I like Mark Hamill, but and, Brad Dorif just sitting there, pay him the money. Like. And this is possibly my favorite bit of like trolling, releasing, or oh, advertising because no. we've reached the point where the marketplace is so saturated that in order for a film like Child's Play to exist, it has to exist in the context of something larger. So it is releasing the same weekend as Toy Story Four. <laughs> and have you seen the posters? If listeners seek I've seen out the a couple pro- of them, seek out the posters for Child's Play because they right. are very consciously riffing on Toy Story Four to the point where he's like burning Rex alive. He's like roasting at the dog over the. Uh, Does it already have made that Toy Story's eventual endpoint? Is that really isn't it? Well, that's that's I think what they're getting at, yeah. which is sort of, and even like the way in which sort of the the, the posters are laid out because they're both against brown backgrounds and they have this sort of like contrast between the two. There's a one where a cowboy hat is lying amid a pool of stuffing, for example. Oh, I look um, like that. So yeah, here I have a picture here. If Grace would like to take a look there. Uh, oh, lads! Of, so it's very consciously pitching itself in that, which I, I kind of love. It, yeah, it's almost a. Uh, What's it the uh, when you when you do a film for the opposite art market? What's it called again? Sabotage marketing. There is some. No, no, no. You know when you release counter programming, counter programming kind of element to it because there shouldn't be too much of a crossover. Certainly not kids, yeah. certainly, but maybe the adults <laughs> that watched Toy Story twenty years ago might. Could be all over Child's Play. Well, I mean, again, talking to to one of our, our former guests, and she was observing that uh, she's waiting for the shock news story about kids accidentally shown children Child's Who Play. Said that? Uh, Stacey. Ah, yes. She's probably right, actually. She's probably uh, right. You're waiting for the outrage news story where... Uh, which somebody will program delivery so they get their cinema in the paper. That's it. Because I imagine that happens all the time now. Yeah. Um, and then finally, obviously, that brings us to the big release of the week, which is Pixar's Toy Story 4, uh, which the is... a film that didn't need doesn't to exist. Doesn't necessarily doesn't need to exist, but what films do need to exist, Jay? All of uh, the films except Toy Story 4. Though. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Toy Story 4 is a grace note. I actually really, really like hey, this. Uh, sorry. Pun on grace. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed this. Again, Toy Story 3 is the perfect ending to the franchise, the perfect capstone. It offers a conclusion. Makes every closure. man of a certain age cry their fucking eyes out. I've lost you wow, and all really? the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. It really, it, it also it, got it, me. I don't know if it's I cried. It's the only, only film that men can cry no, at. That up, don't cry up, at stuff. Up. Up as well. Ah, uh, but yeah, that's that, that sequence enough. And yeah. They're the only ones real men are allowed to cry at. Okay, okay. I wouldn't have marketed it that way, but thank you. Or the thank real you. men was in the very right, comments yeah, for yeah, audiences. Okay, yeah, right. um, but yes, yeah, so Toy Story 4, uh, not a necessary code. Not, uh, sorry, uh, not necessary. Uh, but also, you know, not as emotional. It understands you can't go back to that well. You can't, like, have... Toy Story 3 is a big farewell to these characters and then have another big farewell, you know, almost a decade later. So it's set up a new trilogy, is that what you're saying? No, it's, it's a coda. Um, okay. And one of the things it does, which is rather interesting, is that it bypasses, and it's very clever, it bypasses Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3 and goes back to Toy Story, the original one. This is very much a Woody story through and through. It's a character profile largely driven by the character of Woody as played by Tom Hanks. And it becomes, through that, this sort of, like, really deeply moving story about kind of what it is to have an ending and a purpose and the idea of like when you're obsolete when you're rendered obsolete when you no longer serve a purpose what you do to yourself and whether you're like Woody who's always been this bundle of insecurity has been one of Tom Hanks best roles if you ask me but this idea of Woody's always been this bundle of insecurities that's wrapped himself up in the idea that he's needed uh, by Andy by the kid and if you take that existential purpose away from somebody what does that leave you with? That's a fair point and I think throughout the trilogy 
they're like he's the one always depending on Andy he needs us. He, you know, it's, it's oh, yeah. kind of he's the one. Well, I mean, like you know, he, he like again, yeah, yeah. this is the thing with like, and this is the thing I with get Tom Hanks. Organized, we, we talked. Hanks about, is very good at that. We talked in the podcast before about like the difficulty in imagining Tom Hanks doing Training Day. Like I can't imagine a Tom Hanks Training Day movie. No, neither can I. And the issue is like, Woody, kind of want to see it. I do kind of want to see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But Woody is about as close as you get to that, and that's largely because he's a cartoon cowboy. But he's a cartoon cowboy who tries to murder another toy in the first Toy Story. That's about as dark as I think you can get Tom Hanks to go. Reasonably yeah. speaking, is like would he murder Spaceman Tim Allen? <laughs> and I kind of like that there's this edge to him that kind of works in a cartoon fifties cowboy sort of way. And it. I should manage to watch the Training Day now. You. <laughs> I know but just imagine just superimpose over Townsdale Washington Tom Hanks and just sort of and, and let's recast the Eden Hawk and put it um, who do you put in if we're going to do some weird kind so of cast. okay so you got to go with Andrew Garfield James Badgedale oh he'll die though he will die yes spoiler like Sean Bean uh, <laughs> the oh. new Sean Bean <laughs> the new Sean Bean but James yeah. Badgedale anyway sorry go on. but I again had great fun with it it's probably some of the most fun I've had in the cinema since The Man Who Feels No Pain because it's just a romp it's a pure adventure sort of road movie and again it's it's kind of it leans into the weirdness of the Toy Story franchise there's a moment yeah there is it's like I mean if you've seen the ads you know that one of the characters is a spork that yes. has eyes glued on it uh, yeah. called Forky mm-hmm. um, and Forky quite literally at one point asks Woody while they're in the backpack being carried home why am I alive Woody um and Forky, it's terrifying, very isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Forky spends the entire movie trying to get thrown away because he's a piece of litter and that's where he belongs. And so he has to reconcile. Jesus, that's it's a, it's it's a nice, dark. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm a single purpose feeding implement. Um, <laughs> is this a comment on plastics in America as well? I, I don't know. But single it's, use plastic. It's yeah, got yeah. this, again, it's, it's this really weird sort of almost like Satra-esque yeah. sort of like existential existence Crisis. of suffering like in a Pixar movie which I kind they of They do adore. do that though yeah. in fairness when they're not well this is a cash cow as well. Yeah this is. But I mean it's, it's a you know. where, where are we rating this on the Toy Story scale? Last? Uh, no it's, it's probably better than the first Toy Story. It's not as good as two or three. Huh. But I mean I, I can go with that. And it almost got me in the feels. The I'd, moment, be, I'd be 312 personally. Okay. I have only seen the first Toy Story. It had no impact on me whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. I've never seen the others. I love two, but I, that's an underrated opinion. Three is great. I love three. Three is fantastic. Three. Um, and one, one I appreciate, but I don't love. Okay. Um, anyway, so yes, I would hold either on that. But if people are looking for a bit more grace, a bit more Jay in their lives, where can they find you guys online? First of all, God help you. Second of <laughs> all, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Pixie Grace. I'll be on Twitter, generally speaking, at Jaycott. Uh, you can follow me at Darren underscore Munia. I also co-host another podcast called The 250, where we look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes the bottom 100 as well. And oh, this yes. week, listeners, we have a special treat. Oh my God, tell me. Wait, what do we have? Piping hot. New entry on the bottom 100. This one's been coming for about six months now. It is, yes, Will Ferrell, John C. Oh, Riley, and Ra- Golden Raspberry Award sweeping Holmes and Watson. So come join us, homesies. Godspeed to all of you. Take it easy. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.